The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz... The fourth industrial revolution. Lost track? Let me give you a little history lesson. First was steam. Second was electric. Third was digital and electronics. And here we are. So officially, I will welcome you to the age of the smart factory, also known as the Internet of Things, IOT, in case you're keeping track, a.k.a. Industry 4.0. Let's talk about it. The hallmark of this new era is a generation of systems that are delivering real-time awareness and dynamic interactions among machines, among systems, among assets, people, and things. Lots of stuff is getting connected. This means, for one thing, consumers can be connected to machines through sensors and smart tags. We can gain insights on sustainability and a lot more. And guess what? 3D printing, it's been around for a long time, but it's coming of age. You can create print, I find that hard to believe, useful hard objects far beyond the traditional concept of putting characters on paper. Exciting times, but still somewhat a new frontier. Well, we're talking about innovations that can bring great opportunities for businesses everywhere to grow and thrive and compete better. So my question for our business audience is, are you ready to seize the day, also known as Carpe Diem, or are you stubbornly sitting still in the pre-IOT dark age? I love the way that looks. If you're in the latter category, it's time to open the curtains and let the light in. And that's why we invited back a panel of experts to talk about the Industrial Internet Part 2. So let's get started. First up, I'd like to welcome my guest, Dave Westrom. He's Senior Business Development at ThingWorks, T-H-I-N-G-W-O-R-X. And he's quoting Charles Darwin today. It is not the strongest or the most intelligent who will survive, but those who best manage change. Amen. Welcome back, Dave Westrom. How are you today? Dave, are we there? Okay, I'm going to move on to the next guest and we'll wait for Dave to come back to us. I think we might have lost Dave. Quentin Fisher, Associate VP, Global Analytics Leader of Manufacturing and Public Services at HCL Axon. And he is saying, uh, he is saying to me a quote from William Gibson, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. Welcome, Quentin. How are you? I'm very good. Nice to be here, Bonnie. Good. Glad you're still here. looks like Dave dropped on his line. We'll get him back when we can. So let's kick it off with this. The future is already here. That's sort of what I was saying, but I think it's still a new frontier. So talk to me, Quentin. Dave is back, but we'll pick him up in a minute. So, Quentin, let's get this started, please. Yeah, well, the idea of that quote is that, you know, 
we do have innovation. It's just that it may be in different industries. It may be in different regions. And we just need to, with the commoditization of, of sensors and, and the uh, ubiquity of connectivity now, right, what we're mm-hmm. now able to do is, is apply that to more and more scenarios and take them from some of these fringe situations to everyday life. And we're seeing that with the Internet of Things in a, in a huge way. Quentin, when you say, when William Gibson says it's just not evenly distributed, is it coming into those who were the, I don't know what the word is, the cognoscenti or the intelligentsia or the avant-garde of leadership in the IT world? Those hackers, hacker is a good word today. It's not a bad word at all. We have hackathons. Are they the ones on the leading edge who are, to whom it's being distributed, this future we're talking about? Tell me. Well, I think you, you follow the money, right? And where you see, ah. uh, <laughs> always follow the money, right? <laughs> I love so it, yes. You, you see a lot of, you know, predictive analytics going on and connected systems. Well, in the mining industry, when a, when a big truck goes down, a big dump truck, it can cost a million dollars a day. So they invest in the technology and the advanced analytics to make sure that, you know, that rubber is, is rolling. And now, once again, with the commoditization of all, and the price points falling, what we're able to now see is that technology come into cars, right? Mm-hmm. So automobiles. So that's the, the point is it's now getting more and more distributed from these niche areas that have very specific use cases and, and high-value uh, return on investment projects. And now it's becoming uh, much more uh, consumerized as as we evolve in the, um, once again, the, the, the technology becomes much more accessible. Thank you, Quentin. Good start. And let's flip back to Dave Westrum, Senior Business, Senior Director of Business Development at ThingWorks. Dave, we dropped you, but we want, we're want we glad you're back. And I'm going to reread your quote from Charles Darwin. It's not the strongest or the most intelligent who will survive, but those who can best manage change. Welcome back, Dave Westrum. How are you? Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to be glad you're back here twice. Okay, so let's let's say two is a two is a charm. Tell me why you picked this quote from Darwin about our topic today, the fourth industrial revolution. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I think that uh, what we're seeing in the market is the the real story about around Internet of Things uh, is about rapid innovation uh, and continuous change. Um, company partners, customers. Uh, are striving to create uh, new business processes, uh, doing new things, and doing them very quick. And then uh, once they once they have these new processes, new services that they're able to offer to their customers, um, the inputs uh, from devices, sensors, uh, people, and other things, uh, along with the insights that are generated from uh, analytics and big data are constantly changing and allowing them and providing them the opportunity to uh, continuously change the service, uh, extend it, offer new services to their customers. So it's a new world where um, um, companies are able to uh, innovate very rapidly and continuously uh, augment, change, extend, and modify the services uh, to their customers in ways that weren't possible uh, as recently as a few years ago. 
So, Dave, I would pose to you the, the que- comment I made in my introduction on the show today in the form of a question. Are companies sitting on the sidelines willfully? Are they afraid? Are they reluctant? Do they think it's too expensive? Do they not have the scientists or data scientists, as we like to call them, who can take them out of the dark ages and into this new exciting era? What's your quick take on this? Who's sitting out? Who's sitting it out? Who is on the front lines? Well, I, I think that we see a lot of companies jumping in um, very quickly. And mm-hmm. I would say in the last um, uh, year, six months, that that pace is, is accelerating. Uh, and a lot of the things that, um, again, were, were perhaps just talked about a few years ago are, are actually being put in place and, and implemented uh, today. We had a, an event recently where a number of our customers and partners uh, got up and talked about the new services and, and new applications that, that they're offering to their customers in a wide range of, of industries. And some very, uh, again, some very innovative uh, stuff uh, in, in agriculture, for, for example, where, where uh, um, one of our partners, a company called OnFarm, is able to offer a service to their farmers uh, that again continuously changes. They're they're constantly adding new inputs from new devices. They're making recommendations around uh, um, irrigation, uh, how to best optimize uh, watering, what to plant, where to plant it, um, and they're they're constantly and continuously changing that to improve the service to their their customer, which happens to be farmers. Okay, thank you very much. Good insights, Dave. Glad to have you with us. And let's welcome back our third panelist from Part 1 as well. It's Chris Hallenbeck, who leads SAP HANA Go to Market Globally. And Chris sent me a very interesting quote from George S. Patton. I think this is more in the line of words of wisdom or something to live by. Let me read the quote, and Chris will explain. Uh, Patton said, if you tell people where to go, but not how to get there, you'll be amazed at the results. Welcome, Chris Hallenbeck. Welcome back. I understand you were on vacation recently. How's everything? I'm doing very well, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Delighted to have you back. So interesting quote from George S. Patton. Talk to me. Well, what I'm finding is when you talk to companies, you know, I've found that a lot, there are definitely those ones, particularly in farming, actually, that are really going aggressively at this. I think it's the most interesting area um, and what people wouldn't have expected um, or have seen the most adoption. But when you actually look at it, I'm talk to lots of other companies, you do find people sitting back a little bit, and it's because of the daunting nature of it. You talk to a hardware company, and all of a sudden you start talking about sensors that they may not understand as well, and then all the different mm-hmm. ramifications of firmware and edge computing, where how much data do I bring back, how much do I compile the edge, things like this, um, updating these systems and maintaining um, actual knowledge of what's in every machine, every repair, everything that you need to do this well, as well as the communications. And not all hardwired and some of it's intermittent. And they just start looking at everything they need to know end to end. And you're both a hardware company, a software company, a firmware company, a communications company all rolled up. And they mm-hmm. start to get, and they start to go, uh, and they get a little frozen. And I think that's the problem was that if someone tells me you have to do all these things, it's difficult. Whereas if you give some really creative people and you say, look, this is where we need to get to. We need, we need to lower the cost for our folks, you know, and we think there's different ways to do this. It might be automation. It might be Internet of Things. They start to find the way. 
they come back and they find ways to use predictive maintenance. Uh, they come back and they find new interesting ways to link that into things like 3D printing, which is starting to happen. They mm-hmm. start to find the right companies that they can work with, maybe not internally, to do things like understand how to deal with just the array of sensors and the different issues that they need to become knowledgeable in. And so that's why I think the quote was appropriate was you just need to give, it's almost like you need to start up internally to aggressively go at this and find the right way without necessarily executive management telling them how to do it. Aha, uh-huh. and I'll pose to you, thank you, Chris, I'll pose to you the same question I just posed to uh, Dave Westrom is, what companies do you observe are eagerly approaching this, are jumping in, diving in uh, headfirst, both feet off the ground, and saying, yes, this is exciting. Yes, there's opportunity for growth. Yes, we're going to be in the in the advanced edge, the cutting edge, and we're going to be a leader, and we're ready for it. And how many do you see who are saying, eh, not quite yet? What is your observation? Uh, my observation is, like, I mean, if you want the, a company that's just fascinating or amazing in work, there's John Deere. Um, mm-hmm. John Deere has gone in every which way. They're in a market in which their products are easily IP is stolen and made in much lower cost markets. Um, and so they have to differentiate themselves with technology um, and showing the farmers that if you buy a, factor, a tractor from somebody else, which is a copy of mine, um, made in a lower cost market, it might break down. What are you going to do? How are you going to know that? You have two, you have two days to get a crop in, let's say, if a, if a storm is coming in. How do we actually know ahead of time? And with a John Deere tractor now, you may just receive an alternator in the mail and someone coming to come fix it for you before you even know it's broken as a farmer. And they'll come out, schedule it, and do the repair directly in the field before it breaks, right before you go in to do that, that work in the field. That kind of level of service is why people are not buying John Deere. The fact that it will actually know all the satellite GPS of where you're going, your soil conditions, what 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 crop seed you're using, what fertilizer, automatically setting up your spreaders, knowing your watering conditions, looking at smart farming, letting it doing it robotically when 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 it makes sense, starting to look at things like drones for actual for field investigation, um, up to spraying, all of these things tying together is that type of work they're doing. And a lot of it's happening today, like actually not in the future, not in their innovation. It's installed in their products today. They've aggressively been going at this. Um, So I find them to be fascinating. And I find a lot of the other companies just that's a little too daunting. They talk Mm -hmm. about it a lot. And to the reasons I gave and the complexity, so you see a lot of consulting firms stepping up and saying they want to get into it, firms you wouldn't necessarily expect, a lot of telcos um, or things like companies like a Cisco um, jumping in and creating a whole team that will now learn about that and bring that expertise on these varying subjects to companies that have been building and been in manufacturing uh, forever. And just saying, this is not the business that we have a core competency in. And so I'm going to bring somebody else in to help me lead me through this as we, as we build that up internally. Interesting. Thank you very much for that uh, observation and insights, Chris. I'm going to ask right now the probably the most difficult question of the whole show. You all know what's coming because you're all pros at Coffee Break Radio. Dave Westrom, what's in your cup today or what do you think you're going to drink after the show? Talk to me. I've been drinking um, uh, white tea with uh, chai. I try to uh, cut back on the caffeine. Um, so I've uh, been uh, going with the tea lately. And how's that working for you? Is it good? It's uh, It's been working real well, yes. 
very good. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I was looking for a little enthusiasm there. I think we heard, heard a little bit. Thank you. Quentin Fisher, what's in your cup today? Well, it's, it's not a good coffee day for me, Bonnie. Aw. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a hotel room, and, you know, I've got some tap water poured into one of those little coffee makers. With uh, I'm not even sure what's in it, but I think it's coffee. So <laughs> it, it, it's got caffeine. That, that's, that's what's working today, and I'll upgrade to uh, Starbucks uh, hopefully in, a, in about 30 minutes here. Okay. Well, we're going to keep you longer than 30 minutes, so we're going to keep you till 58 after. You're going to have to wait a little longer. Where are you? What, where is the hotel and what kind of Starbucks? I have two questions. Go ahead, Chris, yeah, Quentin. Well, I'm in Sacramento today, and uh, mm-hmm. and Starbucks, I, I still have to find it. So uh, that's on my to-do here yet. But, uh, and what are you going to order when you get there? We have to know. Oh, uh, I'm just a regular, regular Joe, dark roast with a touch of milk. That's me. Sounds delicious. And Chris Hallenbeck, last but of course not least, uh, anyway, you want to share with us where you well, traveled? I know you just got back. <laughs> and what's in your cup today, Chris? Well, Dave Westrom's a much better guy than me because I'm on my uh, fourth <laughs> double espresso of the morning. <laughs> and I've only been up for two hours. So, and that's out of, uh, out of my home in Palo Alto, California. Wow. And I, I'm just wondering, you were away. I know, were you any interesting travels? Did you come across any interesting coffee when you were on vacation, Chris? Uh, not really, because I was camping uh, north of Yosemite with my family for a week. So uh, very nice and not a lot of network signals, which made it a very, very good vacation. Good. Glad you had a good rest. We're going to put you to work here. Guess what? We're ready for our break. Our topic today, we're revisiting the industrial Internet. Why? Because there's so much to talk about. Great topic, wide open. I have my experts back, Dave Westrom, Senior VP of Business Development at ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher, Associate VP and Global Analytics Leader, Manufacturing Public Services, at, now at HCL. Axon, and Chris Hallenbeck, who leads SAP HANA Go to Market Globally. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you were wondering who she is. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, episode number 143. We are live. Today is Wednesday, July 16th. Woohoo! Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, 30-minute roundtable, nonstop. Put your seatbelts on. I'm going to get my panelists to work hard and cover a lot of territory so you can learn and be educated and inspired, and everybody's going to grasp the fourth in Industrial Revolution. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com 
And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're back and we're talking about the industrial internet. You might know it as the fourth industrial revolution. You might know it as IOT, Internet of Things. You might just know it as Industry 4.0. Whatever it means to you, we're going to talk and talk and talk for the next half hour with my panelists and learn a lot more than we already know. So Dave Westrom at ThingWorks, let's talk about where we came from, from whence we came. And you noted to me in your talking points before the show, traditional solutions and applications have focused on automating known business processes tending to be rigid and fixed. So let's start with our our baseline. Let's level set here. Uh, How long ago was that? Who is still stuck in that era and how are we going to move forward? Go ahead, Dave. Well, I think a lot of um, uh, traditional enterprise software falls under that model where the focus has been uh, automating something that's known and, um, you know, typically a, a fairly lengthy process uh, where companies define requirements, do a, typically will do a consulting study, which takes many months, uh, put an architecture together, um, bid to a spec, design the system, put it out there, test it, uh, and the customer may not see value for three years uh, or more. And, again, you're, you're automating something that's known. Uh, it, while there's value in doing that, it's not really tied to uh, what would be defined as innovation or creating mm-hmm. something that is new. So I think the new era, the new, era, the new opportunity is really around um, uh, creating things that are differentiated, things that are new, uh, doing them very rapidly, and being able to iterate, as I mentioned earlier, and continuously add new incremental value uh, versus having to um, uh, wait for, uh, for a year or more to a new, for a new software release or something else that allows you to change an application. Uh, so I think the new era around the Internet of Things is going to require dynamic applications that can continuously change. Uh, also, I would say to some of Chris's points earlier, the, the complexity, um, the, uh, the hesitancy of, of some companies to jump in, um, I think is being, uh, is slowly melting away based on some of the tools and technologies that are, that are now available that, uh, really enables uh, companies to just jump in and, and very rapidly, uh, create value. Uh, and again, if you can reduce the time to uh, innovate, if you can broaden participation in the process and reduce the cost, uh, you can create a solution. And if it doesn't deliver on the value proposition, you just simply uh, move on to the next one. And I think that at ThingWorks, that's, that's what we're facilitating with our customers. Um, we're able to get started. Uh, we have something called a discovery workshop. We're able to mm-hmm. engage a customer and actually uh, build a solution with them right in front of them where they can get to uh, uh, some immediate value typically within days or weeks. And so I think that these kinds of technologies are changing the equation and allowing us to move from what was in the past a focus on honoring something known to unleashing a, a new era of innovation and I think that's the broader story uh, around the Internet of Things. 
Very exciting. And I have two questions for you before I invite Quentin and Chris to chime in. Uh, Dave, one thing comes to mind. You talked about this resistance or reluctance is melting away. Would you say that the need to stay competitive when perhaps other companies in their industry are innovating quickly, is that another motivator that's helping to thaw the chill or the reluctance? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it, it's not only staying competitive and being able to differentiate yourself from competition or perhaps being able to quickly leapfrog uh, competition, Mm -hmm. but also a lot of companies are looking to expand their businesses uh, through different business models, Um, whereas in the past they might have sold a a product, let's say a medical device, um, where they would, you know, sell it and then collect some sort of yearly maintenance fee. Well, now they may uh, just wheel the medical device into the hospital and um, uh, start charging for services. For example, if it's a, a blood testing piece of equipment, they can, uh, they're able to remotely manage and control that piece of equipment. They can see every blood test that's taken. So instead of charging for the equipment, they might start charging the hospital every month for each blood test. Uh, so new business models new opportunities to provide new services, ways of changing their business, uh, ways of being more competitive and and really differentiating um, uh, the company and the offering. Good summary. Thank you. One quick question. I I think I heard you say if one model of something new and innovative doesn't work, move on. Is that the motto to fail, fail and fail fast? Is that the ethic there? Absolutely. Fast to fail. um, Fast to fail. You know, fast to fail. If, um, uh, again, if you can broaden participation, you can get more ideas, you create a, 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 an engine of continuous innovation. Um, and if you, you bring the time down, you bring the cost down, um, if it does not deliver on a value proposition, you simply move to the next one. And that's really, uh, I think, the model of the future. Thank you very much. Quentin Fisher, I know you have a lot to say. We've covered some interesting territory here with Dave. What are your thoughts, please? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the whole agile development, rapid iteration, learn by doing is absolutely key because this stuff is new and we don't have all the answers and and you just need to get out there. And the comments about, you know, really trying to find these new business models, I think that's that's the crux of it. The technology is there, but it's about realigning your thinking on how the, what services and products you provide. I was recently at a uh, smart manufacturing summit over at Caterpillar, and we heard uh, Doug uh, Oberhelman uh, speak, the CEO, and, and his analogy was that things are changing so fast, um, and he talked a lot about the formation of Caterpillar when they built the first cat, uh, from the horses, or the horse and plow, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the tract uh, caterpillar first version and his whole analogy was that he doesn't want to keep on thinking that they need a better horse versus a new caterpillar and just to be creative and thinking the services that they provide and then how they take that to market Uh, mining was one example where they're absolutely starting to very similar to the healthcare example they're providing a service to, to the mine and not only are they supporting caterpillar tractors and vehicles, but, but you know, competitor products. And, and how do they do that? And how do they provide that whole service to that mine and really think about how, how they, uh, you know, build their, 
you know, next version of their business. Good points. Chris Hallenbeck, talk to me. What do you think? Well, I think with all of this, it's interesting. I agree with everybody on, you know, on, on doing these very fast, very small iterations. The what's with all of this, I worry that we fall into the same trap as big data. And what I mean by that is you had so many companies who are like, we need to jump on this bandwagon. And so they would start up a big data team. And I see that happening with IoT. And it's sort of like, and so they would build up this huge cluster of servers and just dump data into it. And then everyone said, okay, for, what, what are we going to do with it? As opposed mm-hmm. to focusing in on the business problem. What are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to, you know, I have a tunnel boring machine. And if it gets stuck we're out like $30 million a day. So what do we do to solve that? And that's where a lot of this came from, was these guys started figuring out how to make sure and those systems gave continuous data back. They could predict when they would fail, and they could actually do preventative maintenance as they went. And, you know, and the same thing happened with mining trucks and now happening with, you know, with, with combines in the field and moving to other areas and to our cars. That, when we focus in on the technology and we're like, let's just buy a bunch of sensors and we'll embed them in there and we'll figure out how to use them, you do need to do a little bit of that because you're not sure where the technology is going to come. But at the same time, with a key focus on what's the business problem we're trying to do, and let's not make it too big of a problem. If we, When we try to solve everything and think through every permutation of the future, the projects get bigger and bigger, and they go from mm-hmm. the small, quick, fail, fast type size where failure is okay and failure can be encouraged you know, a month, two months, to years because you're building it up so large because you're worried, and now all of a sudden – Failure is not an option, yet you just put a bunch of technology out there. You didn't really just say, let's add some value, and then we'll incrementally get out there. And I think that's going to be a challenge for some companies that haven't thought that way before. You know, uh, we go back, telephones, you look at them, and they were brilliant. They were designed to last 30 years. When you look mm-hmm. at the telephones that we grew up with, you know, from AT&T, uh, the right. Princess, and all these other things, and now a phone <laughs> is designed to last months. Um, and things are changing, and they're going much faster iterations and upgradability because you do have an ecological responsibility as well as responsibility to your customers, not to force upgrades so continuously, physically, so with more money versus hardware. And I think that that's going to be interesting to watch how we go through that evolution. Chris, funny that you mentioned the princess phone. I'm laughing because I don't know how many people even know what that was, but certainly you and I do. And I, I won't. I don't know, Dave. Do you remember the princess phone? Uh, that lovely streamlined, curvy kind of thing. You could even hang it on the wall. Dave, do you remember that? And Quentin. <laughs> Yeah, I'm too Uh-oh. young for that now. Oh, 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 Chris, I went there and I got slammed on that. I was going to say the big fashion in phones, if I can interject for a second here, Chris, is on, on the procedural crime dramas on TV. Everybody's using burners and they're throwing phones out car windows and they're throwing them into dumpsters and into lakes to, to get rid of the, uh, the data trail. So yeah. we see phones that are only intended to last hours and they're so cheap you just toss and run that's that's the thing thank you you read the original you read the original seminal books on industrial design but the most famous industrial designers of our age they used to have to account for the human bodies growing larger over the decades the fact that we're eating more protein and that they would have to account for that in the size of the seats in the tractors and in the levers (laughs) and the throw we don't even think about these things anymore they used to design stuff to last but they weren't worrying about things like upgradability and other stuff. They were just assuming it was going to be in the field forever uh, with a human, and they had to account for the human being the change. Now we're changing with technology changing on short cycles and humans not. It's very interesting. 
great point. And, you know, we used to think that built-in obsolescence, we used to accuse manufacturers, especially appliance manufacturers, of making things fail. So we'd have to buy a new one and spend more money. And that was evil. Remember, everybody? Built-in obsolescence. Wow, look what GE did to me. Look what Maytag did to my dishwasher. And now it's like, really? How often are you going to buy a new one? As often as you want to. Now, let's move to Quentin Fisher to some of your talking points. And let's take a look at the components of the industrial internet and the fourth industrial revolution, a little more level setting. So let's talk a little bit about big data and analytics, advanced analytics, industrial orchestration, uh, mobile first, new manufacturing techniques. Let's revisit 3D printing and something called nano and sensor integration. So Quentin, give us a little overview on all of these things that are part of the internet of things. And then of course, we'll have Chris and Dave chime in. Go ahead, Quentin. Yeah, great. So, so to kind of go a bit uh, to, to more of the technical components that are driving mm-hmm. this force industrial revolution, you know, what, what are they? And it's, it's really a confluence of a, of a number of technologies that are, that are uh, you know, changing so rapidly. You know, the first one we've heard so much about is, is big data and, and analytics and, and moving to uh, predictive modeling. I mean, that's been around for a while but being able to ingest uh, large amounts of data and then really uh, understand that and, and come up with some predictive models. Um, then we have industrial orchestration, and everything is becoming connected within the factory, right? Also, out to the consumer, we have smart tags, smart signals, and everything is, is and this is the, the, the rise of the industrial internet, Every, everything is now becoming connected. And, and this whole concept of orchestration is, is uh, entering our vocabulary and, and how we manage things in, in a connected manner, in, in a fabric. Uh, you also hear things talk about that. Then um, mobility, right? Everybody wants all the information wherever they are. Um, new mobile devices are giving location awareness, geospatial uh, also, um, being able to to see things, uh, augmented reality is entering uh, the picture as well. So people can now visualize things wherever they are, and uh, and and see what's going on. And it's it's a digital footprint, and they can and really see, you know, what the solution is. It, once again, back to uh, that summit I attended around smart manufacturing at at Caterpillar. They have something called a cave, and it you walk into this cave and put these funny glasses on and you're actually sitting in a caterpillar and they actually have training activities where you can you can change out a, a filter and and if you look down you'll, you'll get dizzy because of because of the visuals right so the whole point is wow bringing that digital footprint together and and being able to iterate and and do this wherever the the techniques that are happening with manufacturing are are changing so rapidly as well uh the way we manufacturing, we've we've heard about 3D printing. Additive manufacturing is a, is a better term for that. That's been around for a while, but it, it's really starting to to move fastly, and that's because of some of the patents that have been expiring. And now the new more and more uh, vendors are are getting in to start doing this. And uh, GE is now, I think, putting in production the first jet uh, for first jet engine nozzle that's being 3D printed. So, so that's coming mm. out right now from a, from a production perspective. Prior to that, there, there was a lot of modeling that was done with 3D printing, 
and then jigs and fixtures was it was another very common use of uh, the 3D printing technology. But we're really starting to see certain use cases where it's entering uh, production. And then I think the other, the last kind of key component that we're seeing that's changing everything so fast is new materials, right? Uh, there's a lot of nanomaterials out there, a lot of sensor-integrated materials. I mean, even just to take this to a consumer scenario, I mean, you know, shirts have now integrated sensors, and, and um, you know, people are, are buying shirts that are completely connected. And, and integrating those sensors into to the materials and the products as well. So that's just a, a broad overview of some of the technology components that are driving the, the Industrial Revolution. And then, of course, tying that to real business challenges and how do we turn that into profit and, and, and results. All the, all the important stuff. Quentin, I must ask you, why do I want my shirt connected and to what and to whom and what will I gain from that? I, I've heard about it before, but I don't recall what the benefit is or what is it all about. Quickly, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, fitness. Fitness is, is, a, is okay. a big thing, right? Tracking fitness, and and now there's even some some better technology out um, about tracking uh, people's movements, uh, athletes' movements on basketball courts, and and ah. and that has a lot of lot of as, uh, benefits around training, right? And and understanding, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, certain plays, and 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 whether you, you know, uh, get the goal or not, and 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 so a lot more once again, analytics to help make better decisions and, and build better strategies around sports. I wonder if they use that in the World Cup, but I rest my case. <laughs> uh, Chris Hallenbeck, thoughts? Were you able to see the World Cup while you were away? Just wondering, I, Chris. A little bit. I would, I'd take a hike, and I, we could actually go watch. But um, I would, and they were, in fact, uh, some of them, they weren't able to wear sensors, so a lot of it was with 3D cameras and other stuff, but they were, in fact, doing that. Uh, we worked on a lot of that technology for the, for the German team, um, unsurprisingly, being SAP. The uh, <laughs> I work a lot on the algorithm side and the big data and streaming mm-hmm. and uh, it was interesting though I worked on a very large project uh, which was doing remote robotic systems connected semi connected and uh, and only periodically connected robotic systems and we got all the telemetry data flowing back in and we were so excited and I wanted to use neural programming in order to look at correlations of break fix what goes wrong with the system and the patterns of information to uh, to actually do predictive maintenance. And the engineers came back and said, like, that sounds really cool, but we could just do simple pattern matching. And and we could get that out in about a week instead of waiting. Your project's going to take months. And we were able to reduce the cost of maintenance literally because it was all a lot of long story. But we were able to reduce the cost of maintenance on the systems in about two weeks by 80%. Mm. And it was phenomenal because instead of sending out someone to say, yep, that's broke and I'm the wrong technician, to another person going into the field to say, yes, it's broke, I'm the right guy and I got the wrong part kit, to showing up and saying, okay, I'm now on site, I'm the right guy with the right part kit, by which huge amount of time, instead, the right person with the right part kit showed up the first time. And Mm -hmm. they actually had the parts for the things that they thought would break over the next month or two. And they would do all the repair at once because taking the system down was expensive. They'd fix it all, get it all ready, and move on. And so the uptime of the systems overall up went up dramatically at the time and field. And that, but that attitude, and you see that throughout big data. LinkedIn is a great example mm-hmm. of that. Always saying, let's not always do the smartest thing in terms of the most complicated and the thing that we brag about, but let's really go and try something out and see if it works. And it's not to say that you wouldn't get to the neural programming answer, which you know, is, is a method to look at this. It's, 
to suggest that always look for the simple one to prove the model works, getting back to the fail fast ethic, and then move forward. When that works, then you can iterate and move up and maybe find it out, but only be as complex as you need to be, I think is interesting. Um, the other one we're seeing a big rise in, I cannot tell you how fast the change in, I, you know, in what companies are asking for. And they always give a presentation when I'm working with them, usually about 15 minutes about what they're thinking about, and then ask you to say how you can help. And in that, you know, there, no one says artificial intelligence anymore because it's been brought up so many different times. Well, we see the term coming up constantly now is ontologies or reasoning systems, um, which is just these are all euphemisms for, uh, for artificial intelligence. And they're making a massive comeback. Um, in terms of how do we use these to look at the patterns. There's too much data to look at. The patterns are too complicated. So how is it that you can just tell me the right thing to do without me having to have a data scientist to necessarily tell me how to do the answer? Um, and it's, it has fascinating implications for what we're doing, both in that it does make average people able to do just the most incredible things that today require a data scientist. On the flip of that, you now have systems making decisions. And with the Internet of Things, you have systems that are making decisions communicating with other systems that are making their own decisions. No humans. And, uh, and that'll, you know, I think we're going to have to get used to, you know, that's not always going to work. And so I think we, today we have mm-hmm. human error. I think we're going to get into, I think we're going to get into machine error, and that's going to have to be something we accept, you know, and how we deal with that with insurance and everything else where connected cars don't chat correctly or, yep. you know, and, and that's just given rise. We have now a new consortium. You know, Apple is going their own way. Google's now chosen their own new way and going forward after their next acquisition. So we have yet another consortium of, uh, I think we're up to five major ones now, uh, there's probably more than I'm unaware of, that are all challenging and vying to become the next Internet of Things protocol. And it just is getting, you know, kind of worse and worse and worse. And that's just going to add more complexity to a burden system. And worse and worse and worse and better and better and better and more and more exciting, exciting, exciting and more competitive and more forward looking. And it sounds like the race is on. I want to bring Dave. Yeah, I want to bring Dave Westrom into this conversation. And then I'm going to hit one more talking point from Chris Hallenbeck. But Dave, thoughts on uh, we've covered a lot of territory since we last heard from you. Talk to me. Yeah, I think uh, all all great points and um, certainly the. The work that uh, is going on at, at, at Caterpillar and John Deere and a lot of these other companies uh, is is very exciting. Um, you know, to your your question earlier, why do you want your your shirt connected? Um, mm-hmm. y- you may not know. Uh, you know what we're seeing is that. Um, you know, what are you going to think of six months from now, a year from now? Uh, there's new ideas are, are continuously coming out. And really uh, having the technology and the design so that um, as you innovate, as you come up with new ideas, as you come up with answers to these questions, you can uh, immediately go and execute and determine the value that, uh, that that's really key. So, you know, uh, ThingWorks, we're focused on taking the complexity uh, out of connecting to these devices systems, uh, algorithms, big data, people, whatever it may be, uh, making it easy to very rapidly create the, the applications, the services, uh, the new business processes, um, and allow uh, partners and, and customers to um, uh, not only rapidly implement what they're focused on now, but uh, to be in a position where 
as they come up with new ideas, as they come up with uh, an answer to questions such as, why do you want your shirt connected? They can, mm-hmm. uh, they can go and execute that immediately and not have to, not have to wait. And again, the kind of, the kind of things that we see, uh, in the market, um, the innovation, um, our recent, uh, PTC Live, LiveWorks event, uh, the, the, the range of customers in, in different industries that are able to show, uh, these new innovations ranging from, you know, what I mentioned earlier in agriculture to things like, um, literally putting sensors in uh, animals. You know, we had a company called Vital Herd that is uh, putting sensors in cows and other uh, animals that monitor the, the health of the animal. Um, a, a number of different factors that are health-related, and if uh, an animal becomes um, ill, they can diagnose that and separate it from a herd so as to not, uh, mm. uh, not spread a disease. So, you know, the, the range of ideas and things that, that companies um, are coming up with is, is, is amazing. And, again, it, it's accelerating because uh, I think, as Quentin said, the, the technology really isn't the issue anymore. It's, it's unleashing the innovation. It's the business processes. Uh, it's companies looking at how they can expand and extend their business and the changes that they have to make uh, uh, to do that. The, the technology is there, and it's, it's enabling these things. Thank you, Dave. I just, while you were talking, I was thinking of ways I would love to have a sensor in a shirt I was wearing. And first would be, I'd like to know the tolerance of the thread holding the buttons on or the tolerance of the mechanism in the zipper. When are those buttons going to drop off? When will that zipper get jammed or fail? Is it nearing the end of its useful life? Number two is, what if I have a spaghetti lunch and get sauce on my shirt and I have to go back to a business meeting, I'd like a sensor to tell me how quickly I have to remove that stain and what to use, whether it's the seltzer or water or just, damn it, go back to the office and get another shirt. What can I tell you? But I digress. Chris Hallenbeck, I want to talk about one more talking point from your list of very interesting things here. Uh, Talk about a drawback. You say major cities are already hitting wireless network saturation. There's the key point. Saturation. IoT, Internet of Things devices can dwarf current network traffic and threaten to create adoption problems and even create pushback. Talk to me. We're going to go to break in two minutes, Chris. Uh, Talk to me about how do you see this happening, what cities are experiencing this already, and what do you predict? Well, you can save the prediction for the last part of the show, but what are you seeing in city uh, pushback? I mean, the cities really, we've been dealing with some of those, looking at how do they then deploy new technologies like femtocells and other stuff to take wireless networks and get it off out of the air and redirect that over a much lower bandwidth connection that takes up a lot less of the spectrum and offload it onto a hardwired network and get it out. But we more and more don't want to wire things. We want them wireless. And so there's just going to be a challenge as to can we get more allocation of bandwidth from other from um, that are being used for other things by the government as we get these allocations, do new technologies come up, and that that becomes the next area of innovation that's required to do just use less and less spectrum, less and less bandwidth, and be more and more efficient. Um, and it may actually affect the adoption of which one of these consortiums wins as we look at it, which one is the lightest weight you can get information through most easily such that they don't um, create problems and wreak havoc. You know, uh, we all know we like to go to those cell phone companies that don't have connection problems uh, as opposed to the ones who mm-hmm. do. And I think we may see the same thing with IoT. Up to the point, though, that it may cause – there is a chance that it will be pushback. 
you know, cities are saying, hey, the Internet traffic is just flooding. And much like we've seen that with things like Comcast and others pushing back on certain Internet traffic, that it's just flooding them and then trying to charge and do other things. How is the free flow of IoT information going to be affected if it starts to become the problem on the, on the bandwidth and the bottleneck? Um, will that will all traffic be the same? Will everyone allow that through? We'll see. Interesting. Uh, quick, uh, I want to ask Quentin, do you have a comment on that? One or two sentences quickly and then Dave, and then we're going to go to break. Quentin, thoughts on this uh, pushback, on yeah, the saturation? Think, yeah, the, the key thing there is, is standards. And um, maybe we'll mm-hmm. get a bit into that to the next section. But there's going to be a need for standards as, as this expands. And that is so important in order for us to scale uh, to, to what everybody's predicting. Good point. And Dave Westrom, thoughts before we go to break? Yeah, again, I think a lot of uh, different companies are, are looking at this, and there's um, different solutions. Uh, certainly the, um, uh, the networking companies, the telcos, um, we're working with all of them, and, and there's a lot of uh, um, uh, interesting and different ways to, to address that issue. Thank you very much. Hey, you've all earned a break. You've been going nonstop for almost a half hour. I appreciate that very much. I want you three to please go out and find the crystal ball. Maybe it's in the trunk of the car or the back of the boat or in the attic. I don't know where it is. Find it, dust it off, and when we come back, I'd like you to push forward to 2020 because we love to say that's the year of hindsight and tell me what do you think will have changed in the intervening six years in the fourth industrial revolution. Will we be at the fifth so soon? I don't know. We're going to find out when we come back. I'm speaking today with Dave Westrom at ThingWorks, Quentin Fisher at HCL, and Chris Hallenbach at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. When we come back, it's time for the crystal ball prediction round. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
There we are, and it's time for our crystal ball round. Let's kick it off for predictions with Dave Westrom, Senior VP of Business Development at ThingWorks. Dave, two minutes almost on the clock, but we'll be gentle with you. What do you see coming up in the year 2020 in terms of which revolution will we be on? How evolved will IoT, the Internet of Things, be? And what do you predict for saturation? All those good things. Talk to me, Dave Westrom. Yeah, I think the um, Internet of Things um, revolution is is in its early stages, and we're just uh, we're just starting to see um, uh, some of the impact of what's going to be a um, a major uh, a major shift. Uh, and again, it's all going to be driven by um, by rapid innovation and and dynamic change. So companies are going to have to um, uh, reinvent themselves uh, and their offerings. Continuously, um, I don't think anyone should get comfortable. Uh, if you think mm-hmm. you're differentiated and have some sort of advantage, you, you really can't rest on your laurels uh, because the the technology uh, is going to enable companies to do things very rapidly. Um, and there's going to be companies that uh, that will be uh, displaced if um, if they cannot uh, evolve. Uh, so I think there, there's going to be a lot of that, where you're going to see things that were um, that were new, that uh, companies that were in leadership positions, and all of a sudden someone's going to come along and, and pass them real quick. Okay, thank you very much. And Quentin Fisher at HCL, what do you see coming down the pike, and can we go to 2020 in your predictions? Yeah, things are changing so fast, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's uh, tough to figure out exactly where we'll be. But I think in the near term, we're going to see certain use case cases just become ubiquitous. So, you know, productivity improvement, quality improvement, scrap reduction, companies figuring out how to expand uh, their revenue stream through services, uh, through these uh, new technologies and capabilities, that's going to be, um, you know, very prevalent. I think we're going to see that customers and business partners are expecting more, and this mm-hmm. is going to be a cost of business. And in order to compete, to some of Dave's point, they have to. Um, me as a customer, I'm just going to expect that when I walk in to that hotel or, or, or whatever, they, they have all my data and it, it's connected and it's it's all situated and they know the flight and, and all that stuff, and I'm not going to have to find a new hotel room because my flight was delayed and they sold my room. So, so all of this stuff will be connected and the, um, the, um, the expectations will rise. Along with that, I think we're also going to see a huge rise, and I mentioned it previously, is some of the standards and, and consortiums to try and figure out how to, how to weave all of this together. And, and so just for the audience, I mean, there's, there's a, a couple that are starting right now. There's the Industrial Internet Consortium out there. There's another one called the All Seen Alliance. And then even the governments are, are starting to get more and more into this. The German government has, uh, is trying to put some stuff together around Industry 4.0. Uh, and the U.S. government around advanced manufacturing uh, a program office around that and, and trying to really put some standards around digital manufacturing and design so that a lot of this technology is woven right into the a start of the product throughout the entire life cycle. 
So, so we're going to see uh, a lot of support infrastructure around the enablement of, of all of these capabilities as well. Chris Hellenbeck, predictions? I can give you two minutes as well before we close this episode. So what do you see? Anything different from what your colleagues on the panel have mentioned today for predictions? No, I completely agree with them, actually. Um, and I think, you know, to build up, we really don't know the financial, what it's going to look like. You know, we went from old school software where you paid for your database and you paid for your applications and you did that. And now we've gone to, and now we just go to software where you just buy a service. Um, and how, and that's, and that's still not yet accounted for the Internet of Things. And I think we don't know how it's going to evolve and the business models behind it will be challenging. But as far as my, uh, my real prediction, though, is what I've seen is that some of the most innovative work is now happening actually by municipalities, um, mm-hmm. and particularly innovative cities. And uh, you have cities coming in all the time saying, how do we become the smart cities? How do we get our ambulances through the city faster? How do we ensure that our visitors are happier and that we're able to track that um, and understand their implications and use knowledge to share and make our hotels fast and better to make, you know, all the services we do more accommodate business, visitors, um, looking at the happiness of the people who live in the city and measure that and then give them the functionality. And also because they control the backbone to a large extent. They have so many access to the actual infrastructure that is able to do the communications and carry the information, um, as well as the things we need for our smart cars to actually work effectively, uh, you know, from the stoplights to the, to the crosswalk signals and everything else. And so they're becoming major players. Um, and I think they're going to drive a lot of what the standards become accepted. I think Germany's probably in a, is doing something very interesting by seeing that into the future. Mm-hmm. But some of the most impressive work is happening there. Smart bridges uh, already are all over throughout Southeast Asia uh, that uses technology already. Um, and I think it's fascinating. And I think we are going to see who we used to consider laggards to actually move up possibly to the front. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see that farms and mining and things are the first ones. Chris, uh, Chris, then, we have then, to save it for part three. We have to save it for part three. I want to know when the in- industrial revolution, the Internet of Things is coming, when it will know who my guests are in SAP Radio and we'll have a nice quiet place with a landline phone with a solid connection for them and they won't even have to ask for it. But I dream. Dave Westrom at Things Works. Thing Works. Thank you, Quentin Fisher at HCL. Thank you, Chris Hallenbeck at SAP. Thank you, Shout out to Rosemary Butler, Malcolm Kimberlin, Brad, and the Business Channel team. Uh, We'll join you next Tuesday on Financial Excellence with Game Changers here on the Business Channel, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon. And next Wednesday, we'll be back with Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today, right now. Do it. We're in the Industrial Revolution 4.0. Don't let it pass you by. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.